0: Hello and welcome to Brain Food for General Counsel, where we take a look at some of the wider issues affecting you and your organisation. My name is Matthew McGee, and I'm a journalist here at Pinsent Masons. This past year, more than any other, numbers have been everywhere. Following the story of the spread of coronavirus, the lockdowns, public policy and the vaccine rollout has felt at times like it required a crash course in statistics. The R number, prevalence, vaccine efficacy, ICU admission trends. The story of the virus has been told in statistics. And these are the numbers that have governed not just policymaking, but also our own individual behaviour. Getting us to change the way we live has depended on making us understand what these numbers mean and how they can help keep us alive. So we thought this was as good a time as any to try to deliver that statistics crash course. Not just because of the health crisis, but because lawyers in business might think of themselves as more words people than numbers people. But to fully engage in setting and executing an organization's strategy, you'll need to hold your own in a room full of people eloquent in the language of numbers. It's vital that you don't let the numbers beat you. They're not as hard as you might think, and challenging the assumptions underpinning the stats you're given can put you in the driving seat. So we've lined up two experts in the understanding of statistics to help out. Robert Cuff is the BBC's Head of Statistics and has rarely been off the screens and airwaves of Britain this year, helping us to get to grips with what he's described as an avalanche of statistics related to coronavirus and the policymaking surrounding it. Liberty Vittert is a statistician whose work through broadcasting and TEDx talks has focused on helping us spot when someone is trying to use numbers to manipulate us. Having spent some time talking to both, I was struck by how powerfully they agreed on the first comforting essential point, which is that understanding numbers in the news or at work is not fundamentally a question of maths, but one of logic and context, as Robert and then Liberty explain.
1: I think the biggest misunderstanding about numbers is that they're all algebra and compound interest and horrible things. But it's kind of like, it's kind of like, parenting and that you think it's going to be these complicated conversations where you negotiate how to build a human and create their confidence and all these really interesting questions when really the skills you absolutely have to master are picking things up off the floor and not forgetting things when you go to the park. And it's the same with numbers. Most of the skills that you're dealing with all the time, they're not high-end mathematical concepts. It's a bit of confidence doing a bit of counting, maybe addition, if you're really pushing it, Um, and that can get you most of the way. And certainly a lot of the data journalists that I work with, those are the skills they master. So it's really critical thinking and applying the context and not letting the numbers put you off. Now you do need to do a little bit of number work in order to get to that point, in order to not be scared away from the conversation. Um, So you have to be pretty confident, you know, looking at a row of numbers, working out an average, which you can do in Excel in about, uh, you know, a second or two. Um, But it's getting rid of that first feeling of when somebody throws you a spreadsheet or throws you a set of accounts that you don't think, oh, Christ, but that you start to think about it critically, about, about the business and what these numbers could tell you about the business. The key thing with understanding numbers is applying your understanding of the question to understand where do the numbers come from? And what do they mean? And can I trust them? And most of the questions around that don't really require any significant mathematical understanding. In fact, one of the the editor for the first series of more or less kind of a, a fairly very popular numbers program on the BBC English graduate, and he said being an English graduate was fantastic because it gave him the permission to ask the stupid question to say, but. What What is GDP that really forced people to explain the story and not to disappear off into to technical mumbo jumbo?
2: What ends up happening is you hear these numbers, you have these experts telling you things, and if you've been worried about numbers or you're not comfortable with them, you then tend to just say, okay, okay, I, I don't even know what to ask. When in effect, the questions that I ask when I am presented with these types of studies or reports are literally, and I am not exaggerating, they are as simple as who, what, how, and why. Who is it that we really want to know these numbers about? What is it that we actually asked? How did we interpret it? You know, that has to do with increases and decreases in risk. You know, if you say uh, there's a hundred percent increase, well, a hundred percent increase from what? Right? If it's a tiny thing in the very beginning, then it's going to still be a tiny thing, even if it's a 100% increase. And the final question is why. Why do these numbers really matter? How do we make them mean something? We see in the news, trillions, billions. What do these numbers actually mean, and how do they affect real people?
0: This program is for very senior lawyers working at major international businesses, a serious, capable bunch of people with extensive business experience. Yet, I'm prepared to bet that more than a few listeners will experience some anxiety and a lack of confidence when the talk turns to numbers, with a sometimes non-trivial impact on the level of participation in decision-making. The good news is that if this is you, you're not alone. There's a major cultural issue at play here. We just don't yet see numeracy as being as important as literacy. We accept people just opting out, and we shouldn't.
2: Well, one of the main things I see over and over again in my work is people being a little bit afraid of numbers. And the problem is whenever we're afraid of something, you know, we don't understand it. And you get this um, this sort of almost ethos. So if you think about it, your kid comes home from school and he says, you know, mom or dad, I'm just, I'm just, I'm terrible at reading. I can't read. At no point does the mom or dad say to, you know, little Johnny, it's okay, Johnny, I never learned to read and I did fine right? We never say that. We figure out ways for kids to read. We have made the decision as a society that you have to read to be able to be a functioning person. The problem is we don't do that with math. You know, little Johnny comes home and says, mom, dad, I'm really terrible at algebra. And mom or dad goes, it's okay, Johnny. I was terrible at math too. And I did fine. We need to change that conversation. I have a real belief that anyone can do math. In fact, I actually failed math class in ninth grade, which is about 14 years old. And the school, the the, par- the teacher called in my parents and said, liberty is just not smart enough. Um, now I have a PhD in math, so clearly I was capable of doing it. I just needed to learn it in a different way, where data is becoming king. It is the new oil that kids and our children and us we have to understand these numbers and we can't be afraid of them anymore. And there are common pitfalls we see over and over again that people fall into when they read about numbers.
1: There certainly is a different way that we think about numbers and words. You know, if you, you do have so many people who say, I'm just not a numbers person, I just, my head goes in a way that they would never say, I'm just not a words person. When somebody talks to me with words, I just kind of tune out and stop listening. There is a, cultural acceptance of that that gives people permission to to check out and maths can be hard you know there are conceptual issues when you get into fancy mathematics or even some uh, some things that you need to do but it's just that 95 percent of maths doesn't require that high-end conceptual stuff 95 percent of maths is the stuff that shouldn't be intimidating because you you probably learned it pretty on early on in primary school
0: Being number confident, as Robert puts it, has always been important, but with an explosion of digital device-related data happening all around us, with almost every aspect of our life now quantified and analysed, and with new business and management tools crunching unprecedented amounts of data all around us, understanding the output of these systems is absolutely essential.
2: Data is the new oil. Data is everywhere. Data analytics are how data-driven is what all companies are becoming. That's the ethos of all of these companies. The, The one thing we all see, especially in this past year, is that we can't get away from numbers. They're everywhere in the news. And COVID has certainly highlighted that. But if you start to pay attention, you'll see that there's numbers in every news story you've ever read. People will use a percentage or a study or something to try to lead, mislead, inform, or persuade you of something. And the problem is, is that we tend to take these numbers at face value. Um, One of the, the main parts of my work is trying to say, what are the questions? that we should be asking whenever we're presented with these numbers. You know, your audience is lawyers. That's what you all are really good at, are asking good questions. So my work is in trying to help people who may not necessarily be numbers people, or frankly, who are numbers people, think about what questions they should be asking whenever they are presented with data or a study or a report where someone is saying this is the number. Well, frankly, a lot of the time it might not be.
0: So getting more involved with numbers is crucial, but there are pitfalls. They're more likely to be pitfalls of logic and understanding than of maths itself, and it's important to watch out for them. Rigorously applying this logic can really help. Here's one example of the dangers of not fully questioning the numbers we're given. At the height of the pandemic, amidst a crisis over availability of PPE, personal protective equipment, the UK government admitted that it sometimes counted individual gloves rather than pairs as pieces of PPE, allowing it to claim higher numbers of items distributed. The number was accurate, but it didn't mean what its audience thought it meant. Liberty remembers another example that really emphasizes the importance of asking yourself some basic questions when presented with numerical data.
2: Um, There's a case, uh, O.J. Simpson, one of the most infamous criminal trials in American history. So during the trial, um, his lawyer, Alan Dershowitz, made a very interesting statistical argument. He said that while it was known and definite that O.J. physically abused his ex-wife, Nicole Simpson. They said it didn't matter because 4 million women in the United States are abused by their domestic partners every year. But of that 4 million, only 1 in 2,500 are then murdered by the domestic partner that abused her. So the chance that O.J. killed Nicole based upon the fact that he beat her up is 1 in 2,500, obviously not enough to convict someone. And this was a highly persuasive argument to the jury to say the fact that he domestically abused her was not relevant to the fact that he could have murdered her. But what the jury, and most certainly the prosecution, should have realized is that the statistic that Mr. Dershowitz stated was completely irrelevant. And here's why. In Mr. Dershowitz's situation, we have living women who are currently victims of domestic abuse. What's the chance that the guy that abuses her is going to kill her? One in 2,500. That's true. He didn't lie. But that is not the sample that we care about. We don't care about living women who are currently victims of domestic abuse. Because at the time of the trial, Nicole Simpson was not a living woman. She was a murdered woman. So the group or the sample that we want to know the statistic about is murdered women, who happened to have been abused by their domestic partners. So the real question is of murdered women who happened to have been abused by their domestic partners, what's the chance it was the domestic partner that killed her and not that she was the victim of some random homicide? And in that case, the answer is 9 in 10. So there was a 90% chance that O.J. Simpson killed Nicole based upon the fact that he abused her, not a 1 in 2,500. And that is a simple slip of the tongue of the who. Who is it that we really want to know these numbers about? It's very easy to get confused with something that seems so outrageously simple. But what I want your audience to see is that this was the most publicized criminal trial in American history. The entire world was watching this. The prosecution's entire careers were riding on this. They had every single thing at their disposal, and they missed this. So what I think is really important to see is that it can be so easy to get bogged down in these numbers and not take a step back with a little bit of common sense and ask a question that almost seems dumb, it's so simple, of who do we actually want to know these statistics about?
0: One of the things we all find hard is understanding big numbers. Even comprehending whether a number is actually very big or not can be a challenge. Two numbers can seem very similar to us, yet one might be 10 times bigger than the other, which makes quite the difference on a corporate balance sheet. Luckily, Robert and Liberty have some tips on how we can break numbers down and make them more manageable.
1: It's really easy to get blinded by somebody throwing billions around or hundreds of thousands. The most important way to make those numbers make sense is to put them in context uh, and often to change the scale. One example is government minister comes on the uh, on the radio, says we're putting four billion into preschool child care provision over the term of the next parliament because we care about children and the baby eating opposition don't. And four billion, of course, is a massive number. You know, the term of a parliament, five years. OK, so that's 800 million quid. Um, but there are four million kids aged under five in the UK. Uh, so it's probably... What, 200 pounds a child a year for four quid a week? And some people will say is four pounds a week a lot of money? No. Is four billion pounds a lot of money? Yes, but they're the same number. Uh, so it can't be both at once. So putting it in the right scale and in the right context is key. And that is not necessarily the job of the person who's hearing the number. Someone who is presenting numerical information should be presenting it in in a context in a way that makes sense to the listener and so if you don't understand the numbers that someone is giving to you part of number confidence is saying well i don't understand it's not my fault can you explain this to me in terms i understand i imagine that the best lawyers are not necessarily the people who explain legal terms in the most complicated abstract ways and the same goes for people who are bringing numbers to to an audience
2: now if i tell you your chance of winning the lottery is one in 300 million that means nothing I mean, that means, to me, that means nothing. I don't know what one in 300 million is. The difference between, if you told me my chances are one in 100 million or one in 300 million, there's no difference to me in that. And I'll give you what I do. I always come up with some example. Um, Imagine you're in a bathroom, and you are looking at this gorgeous, huge clawfoot tub, and it is brimming, overflowing with white rice. Now, you pick up one single grain of rice from that bathtub and you paint it gold and you bury it somewhere in that bathtub and cover it all back up with white rice now you get people to walk in the door blindfold themselves and in one miraculous lucky dip pull out that one golden grain of rice And that is the equivalent of one in 300 million of winning the lottery. And it's a pretty darn good business if you can convince people to pay you two dollars to do that. But that is a much more visceral way of understanding what one in 300 million is.
0: A related phenomenon to understanding big numbers is understanding scale by meticulously relating the stats we hear to real practical life.
2: There was a study that came out about two years ago. It was all over the place. French fries are going to kill you. So I decided to look back at the study and see what it actually said. So the study itself, um, which was in a peer-reviewed journal, a very good journal, said that if you eat fried potatoes more than two times per week, you double your risk of death. I and mean, that's pretty scary. So the question comes with this idea of relative risk of what does double mean? So what is our baseline? So anytime you hear someone say there is an increase or a decrease, the first question you should be asking is from what? So in this case, the average person in the study was a, was a 60-year-old male. So um, for a 60-year-old male, your risk of dying is 1%. So that means that if you line up 160-year-old men, one of them will die in the next year simply due to the fact that they're 60 and they're male. If all 100 of those men eat fried potatoes two times per week or more, which means 12 times per week or 20 times per week, for their entire lives, instead of one dying, in the next year, their risk of death is doubled. One doubled is two, so two will die. So instead of one of those 100 men dying in the next year, two of those 100 men will die. And these guys get to eat five potatoes three times per week or more for their entire lives. So all of a sudden, we've gone from one in 100 to two in 100 versus doubling your risk of death, which sounds way scarier.
0: We have focused so far mostly on relatively benign environments where we just want to have a better understanding of the information we're given. But we mustn't be naive. Exploiting the population's weakness in questioning and understanding statistics has long been an easy way for bad actors to pull the wool over our eyes. There are, after all, lies, damned lies and statistics. So how do we defend ourselves against malicious maths?
1: When we come across numbers that are being designed to confuse or to persuade, we ask those simple questions, I think, that you ask of any numbers, because that process just takes you back and helps you to fill in all the blanks. And then once you get to the end of that, you work out, is this a, a helpful or unhelpful number? Where does this number come from? So what's the source? What are the weaknesses in the data that are underlying it? You know, is it a survey? Is it a survey of the kind of, of the people that we're talking about? Say you have a, a stat being thrown around, um, like 20% of people are self-isolating and which means that 80% of people aren't self-isolating. Well, clearly that's a contentious number and what you would do is you would go back to the survey or the, the research that produced it and you just go and look at the figures, check that it is 20%, check that they've got a reasonable number of people, but also crucially you ask what question were you asked? were they asking? Were they asking if you have infected with the virus or you have symptoms do you self isolate completely in your bedroom for 14 days never leave it or do they ask you know do you largely stay indoors because those are very different types of self isolation and they'll give you very different answers you don't need to understand numbers to be able to interrogate that but it's when you answer those kind of questions and behind the numbers, that's when you get to understand whether the number makes sense and is helpful for somebody and what you need to explain about them. Uh,
2: in New York, they were saying that they've done such a great job with vaccine distribution that you know 10% of the population has been vaccinated. And I thought that doesn't make any sense because New York has been having a terrible time with vaccine distribution. And they've been in the news for throwing away vaccines, in fact, because they haven't been able to get it into people's arms. And what it turns out is it was 10% of the population that's eligible to be vaccinated under their rules. So it's not 10% of the New York population. It's 10% of their tier one, which is first-line healthcare workers and seven people over the age of 75. So they were changing the denominator in this to make it look like they'd vaccinated their entire population or 10% of their entire population when in fact it was 10% of this very tiny population of people. So you see it every day just in the news um, of people trying to you know and you know make themselves look better or make others look worse.
0: Hopefully you'll feel maybe a bit better prepared now to question some of the assumptions and query the basis of the information that you're given. If we feel more confident that this is about logic rather than maths, then that will be a useful benefit. But how relevant is it really to people other than accountants and engineers? The answer has to be that it's fundamental. If you're going to be part of the team forming and implementing an organisation strategy, then you'll be in rooms with spreadsheets and subject experts using statistical jargon. Being confident in understanding and questioning that is a vital skill, as Liberty outlines. And as Robert explains, failing to have this understanding just creates opportunities for others who do have it.
2: You know, we tend to sit in this room and I've seen it over and over and over again. And, you know, the numbers person comes in and explains things and no one has any questions at the end, which is crazy to me. I get it. You think these numbers people, this is their job. They're so smart. They know all these numbers. They have all these fancy graphs and fancy models. I think it is just so important to take a step back and say, let's break this down a little bit. Ask these basic questions. You know, think about the PPE meeting where one glove counted as one rather than a pair of gloves. You know, that is a common sense question. Just say, wait a minute. What exactly is this million things? Or what exactly is this two million things? Or break it down for me a little bit. Stop using the jargon. It's something that both the numbers people presenting need to be better at, and the people in the room without the numerical background need to be better at asking for, which is to say, let's distill this down into something that makes sense and stop using your ridiculous jargon that no one understands. And I think that if both people were willing to do that more, we'd be in a much better place.
1: So we've had this huge deluge of numbers over the course of the last year. And people will react to that in different ways. So some people are monitoring the case numbers, hospitalisation numbers, admissions, intensive care, are the, the ONS survey telling you about the infections and keeping a very tight eye on it all. But there are probably also a cohort of people who... Who just want to pull from that that um, Niagara Falls of data, like the key numbers that they need. If you were to do that, you'd pick out two things: you'd pick out R and the infection rate. If you have those two numbers in mind, you can kind of boil down everything else and ignore the noise, and then just focus in on those simple things that answers the questions that are most relevant to you. And there's, yeah, and that's 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 the, that's the one of the best ways of dealing with numbers is finding the things that help you answer the question you need to know. The experts. Uh, the chief medical officers were saying, these are the two numbers you need to know. So find somebody who does know and helps you to focus on the things that you need to, to pay your attention to and make sure that when you they tell you, they tell it to you in language that you understand. So it's not about like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's about using other people to help focus your attention and effort on the things that really matter. Not being number confident just creates fantastic opportunities for people who are So before I worked in the media, I was working for a drug company and, you know, before I was 30, I was sitting on the committee that was running a drug with scientists who were 15 years older than me, virologists, been working on HIV drugs for years, medics, phenomenally trained people. Um, And I wasn't unusual. All the statisticians on these committees were, were pretty young because a lot of people, we're not number confident and you need one professionally numerous people. So creating these, it's great that people create these opportunities for me and for people who love numbers, but it's probably not great that they're doing it for themselves.
0: Thanks for joining us for the latest Brain Food for General Counsel podcast. Remember, you can keep up to date with hour-by-hour coverage of business law news by the Outlaw Reporting Team at vincentmasons.com. And please don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, goodbye. Green Food for General Counsel was produced and presented by Matthew McGee for Pinsent Masons, the purpose-led international professional services firm with law at its core.